Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Whiskey Sex Talk. I am your host, Romeo. Today's guest is a well-known clinical sexologist and practicing psychotherapist that treats adult intimacy disorders and related addiction. Specifically, he is an expert in sex and porn addiction. You might have seen him on CNN, HLN, MSNBC, or OWN, or read some of his articles in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, or heard him on NPR, or in his podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. In addition, he is a blogger for Psychology Today and Psych Central and is the author of Pro-Dependency, Moving Beyond Codependency, Out of the Doghouse, Sex Addiction 101, and Cruise Control. Dr. Weiss, welcome to Whiskey Sex Talk. Thanks, Romeo. I am so glad to be here. So, Dr. Weiss, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. I mean, um, I, I'm quite old, so... <laughs> I started out um, working on these issues myself in the early 80s and uh, really had some problems in this era because I had a lot of abuse and and, uh, and challenging experiences in childhood, which lead to a lot of adult problems. And, and as I was finding my way through my own sexual health, I ran into HIV AIDS in the late 80s. Really? And then it was like, oh, right, I'm working on sexual health and sex addiction, and I have all these friends who are trying not to act out sexually. And people are dying all around us. And it occurred to me that maybe there was some connection between sex addiction and uh, becoming HIV positive back then. And so I went out there and started talking about it. And I went to school and I got a degree and I, my first books were on um, gay men and sex addiction because I wanted my original, my purpose in joining the field was I had learned how to live a healthy sexual life. And I wanted to find ways to talk to gay men about that, which um, nobody, there weren't a lot of people talking about that at, at the that time. time. Uh, nobody was talking about this at all at the time. And so, uh, that got me in the field that got me a, a master's in social work and it got me writing about these issues at the height of the AIDS crisis. And then, and then I just moved on, um, because what happened was cyber sex happened and I was in the field in the nineties mm. already had been for, you know, five or six years. And, um, and along came the internet. It was like, Oh, wow, people are having problems with this. And I already had a problem, a program, a, a practice by that time for people who had problems with sex. And boy, were they coming in for problems with the internet and sex. And so in the late 90s, I wrote a book called Cyber Sex Exposed for, by, for Hazelden, which, you know, Hazelden, the mm -hmm. treatment centers. And that was the first thing that I wrote. I think it was actually the first book on problematic sexual behavior online. It was in like 98. And nobody was talking about that. But by 2006... I was on Oprah, like the old Oprah, talking wow. about porn addiction because generally stuff like this, you know, starts to happen and then the culture kind of catches up. It's like, oh, there's porn addiction. And then two years later, people are talking about it. But I see it before people are talking about it because people are coming to my office for help. And that's very interesting that you said that, you know, uh, cyber sex specifically, because I mean, even that's still evolving cyber sex, porn addiction, sexting, you know, you have all these different forms that stem from one place. Now, let me ask you, um, we're living in a digital age of confusion. That's what I call it. Like there, we're, we're being bombarded with so much um, from dating apps to social to hooking up apps. Now, 
what is porn addiction in the 21st century? That's an interesting question. Um, So let me just say that I've treated sex addiction for 25 years. And Mm -hmm. so I should probably say what that is, because just to say what porn addiction is, you kind of have to get through sex addiction. So I've been working a lot with porn addicts lately and talking to them, and I'm actually working on a book called Porn Addiction 101. Wow. Which will be out next year, because these guys don't have a book for them. But I've been talking a lot to the folks at NoFap and online. There there are are tens of thousands of people who've joined together to avoid looking at porn online. Um, a lot, mostly men, about 90%, but not all. And you just got to think to yourself, like, why would people between 18 and 30, like, which is a man's sexual peak, mm-hmm. want to avoid sexual stimulation online? You'd think that people would want to find it. And yet uh, there are many, many thousands of people who are seeking to avoid porn. And it's not just for religious or cultural reasons. They have other reasons, personal reasons. And that's where it started to touch on sex addiction. So my world is about, has traditionally been about people who have early complex trauma. They were sexually abused. They were emotionally abused in childhood. They experienced profound neglect. And as a result, they learned that sexuality, fantasy around sex, sensuality, those are ways to feel better, to soothe themselves. And when you grow up with families and parents who are abusive or violent or absent or mentally ill, or you kind of learn to take care of yourself as a kid. And many of the men I work with learned to take care of themselves by getting sexual attraction, flirting. You know, they learned early in life that by being getting people interested in them, they could feel important and special. And so a lot of the men I work with were being sexual in their teens. And so I've been seeing sex addiction, which is compulsive sexual behavior in adult men and women for almost 30 years. And porn was a part of it in the past, magazine porn and video porn. And I did work in the 90s pre-internet with people who would would buy like 100 magazines or 1,000 magazines. We used to work with really? men who had like, um, like a storage locker full of porn. Really? Or they would have a garage full of porn, like paper porn and videos. Or they would have huge stores, you know, like piles and piles and piles, and they would throw it all out. And then they would go buy more. And then they would throw it all out, you know. And actually, if you look at the digital world, it's the same thing. I mean, people collect hundreds of images, and then they feel bad about themselves, and they get rid of them, and then they, you know, it's a whole kind of obsession with it. But um, sex addiction, just to say it, is a an illness, uh, an emotional and mental illness, which involves the inability to connect deeply with other people. Um, if you're a sex addict, you've learned to use sex as a way to feel connected, feel important, feel special, which is, you know, great. Sex does all those things, but it doesn't meet deeper needs for connection, relationship, and intimacy. And all of us at some level desire to pair bond, to connect with one other person. That's part of the human condition. For those of us who really struggle to be intimate, sex can be a convenient excuse, a a short-term sort of potato chip when you're hungry kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what it is for sex addicts. Even those of us who are in married or committed relationships will find ourselves acting outside of those relationships sexually because the intimacy with our, within our relationships is, is frightening and we struggle with it. So I've worked all my career with men and women who have early trauma, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, and out of that kind of trauma, they have survived it with sexual problems that look like addictive and compulsive behavior. And that has been what I've worked with for 25 years until the porn addict came along. So um, you're saying that porn addiction stem, well, obviously it's, it's sex addiction. No, it- it's not. And that's what I wanted to tell you. Okay. It is, it is, and it is. Okay. So here you'll get this. Like if you drink whiskey and you drink alcoholically, what would you call, if I drink whiskey and I drink alcoholically, what would you call me? An alcoholic. 
alcoholic. Right. And if I drink wine and I drink alcoholically, what would you call me? You're an alcoholic. Right. So I would have thought as a sex addiction therapist mm-hmm. for 25 years that porn addicts are just sex addicts. And most of my peers would look at them that way. Except when you talk to them, to most of these young folks, it's a very sad situation because what they'll say is they wish they were because they sit around and they get off to pixels and pictures and cam people, but they've never really had sex with a human being. And that's so weird because it seems like there is a, it's an intimate problem, uh, intimacy. It seems, I mean, just based off like what I'm thinking, if, if they have a porn addiction, which is a sex addiction, but yet they're not having sex with people. Right. It's, is it an intimate problem? Well, let's just go back to, let's just clarify. Um, it is, I believe, an addiction, and I think it would be like a subset of sex addiction. So there might be, for example, you can have depression with anxiety, or you can have depression with just sleeping around and qu- crying all the time, right. you know, being being down. And so you could be a sex addict who has traditional, long-term, pro- chronic problems with intimacy and sex. Or you might be this other person who seemed to have launched into looking at porn around 8, 9, 10, probably too early. By 11, 12, 13, they're really hooked on it. By 15, 16, 17, when other kids are going out and dating and having sex and joining teams, they're not. They're stuck with the porn. By the time they're 22 or 23, they've never had a date. They have really haven't gone out with someone. When they do attempt to go out with someone, gay or straight, they don't get erections. They don't get aroused. Um, they call it... Um, uh, they call it porn-induced erectile dysfunction, the inability to have an erection or enjoy sexuality because you have been so super stimulated to porn that when you just go to people, it just isn't that interesting. The brain doesn't respond. And so this is a whole new population of people who have been under-identified, who have had to turn to each other for help online because therapists really have not been sophisticated enough or educated enough to understand how to help them. And... Quite honestly, they didn't know what kind of help they needed, and they wouldn't go to a therapist anyway because they were only 17 or 19. Or Just now we're beginning to see this age group become old enough to really deal with, oh, my God, I've got a problem. I'm 26. I've never dated. I've never had sex. I better go see a therapist. And they're starting to come to our offices. Wow. Um, <clears throat> it's very complicated, this whole um, how porn addiction, I mean, because I'm seeing it from, and I'm assuming a lot of people see it from as porn addiction, porn addiction, or not well, even something that could be categorized. Because it's, here, let me backtrack. Um, when you think of porn addiction, you don't automatically think it's sex addiction. And you don't understand, and you don't think that there's a lot of underlying, there could be a lot of underlying problems that stem from 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 that. Now, um, how is the professional community right now at, how are they treating uh, this type of addiction? Well, it's unfortunate the United States um, in particular has a lot of hangups with sex, in case you didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, As a country, we tend to um, give very mixed messages. We're kind of all over the map, both religiously and culturally. And so as a result, our science in sex is not so great. Um, it was at one time Kinsey in the fifties and we were the leaders in sexual health and sexual, but a lot more research now, especially in more, um, cutting edge, um, diseases like, uh, gaming addiction and porn mm-hmm. addiction or that research is a lot of it's coming out from Asia and England and other parts of the world. So as a result, we have now have a, 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 a diagnosis internationally for the first time for sex addiction, and it's called compulsive sexual behavior disorder. 
and it 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 is uh, it is used in a manual that we use to give diagnoses in every country in the world, and it's just accepted last year, except the United States and Canada, because we use our own manuals for diagnoses, and we have not in the United States or Canada diagnosed sex addiction yet, or compulsive sexual behavior, whatever you want to call it. So it's we're a long way in the U.S. from any kind of understanding or diagnosis. There's still no diagnosis for sex addiction in this country because, really, because of the challenging politics that surround it in the United States. Interesting. Um, now, you specifically, um, when, when, as far as like porn addiction, you have identified two distinct categories, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can we focus on the first one, which you call traditional porn um, addicts, or I think addiction? Yeah, I'm going to break that one down even okay. more for you because Perfect. I'm writing a book about this and I've been studying this. And I, I do think that we have, you know, so what is an addict? Let's try that. Okay. Like an addict is someone who gets involved with a substance alcohol or heroin or a behavior, gambling or gaming or sex, and that behavior or that substance becomes the driving focus of their life. It becomes more important over time than their friendships, their their work, their, you know, more important. What comes first is having that drink in your hand, getting to that casino, getting to the porn at night. So addiction is a disorder of the brain where where priorities have been reordered and what's important in someone's life stops becoming so much people and recreation and connection and even work. And it becomes more and more about the gaming or the porn or the gambling until there are a lot of negative consequences because when you pour your life into porn or pour your life into drugs, you're going to have problems. So addiction is just that. Um, The question is, are people really addicted to the porn and what does that mean? And some people I would think, so here's the deal. We don't have research on these people. There is no large scale research on the tens of thousands of people who are showing up online self-selecting to avoid porn. Um, I have started some of that research. I have a couple of PhD PhD students in that world because I'm trying to understand those people. What they've been told, these porn addicts, is that they all have a problem of conditioning, which means, conditioning kind of means like, you know, if I eat chocolate cake every day, then I'm probably never going to want to eat broccoli again because chocolate cake is just so amazing, so Mm -hmm. much sugar, so much carbohydrates. And if I don't care about getting fat, why would you ever want to eat broccoli? And so it's kind of like that. It's like if you're looking at a constant stream of brand new images, new faces, new bodies, ever more exciting and ever more different, changing all the time. The minute you get it turned on by this, you can look at this, look at that. That's what online porn is. It's a never-ending stream of constant stimulation that never ends and is always exciting just to you because you can pick it. It's kind of like your individualized chocolate cake all day long. And the problem seems to be for some of these people, and this is what the conditioning idea is, that... If you look at a lot of porn for a long period of time, that that intensity, that level of all those images and all that excitement will become your norm, that you will expect, your body and your mind will expect that sex will be all of that intensity for as long as you look at it like you look at porn. And then when you're just with a person and you're asking them out or you're going out with them or you're naked with them, you know, you've someone who has been looking mostly at porn is presented with smells, tastes, moods, feelings, maybe they don't feel like they're good enough there, but you know, their own, and and they, they struggle to get erections or they struggle to get aroused. So what really set off the porn addiction movement was a bunch of young men who really found themselves disinterested in intimacy and actual sex because of the amount of porn they were looking at. And this whole field was kind of led by conditioning. This a gentleman by the name of Gary Wilson wrote a book called Your Brain on Porn. He did a TED Talk. And the this sort of youth community gravitated to all that because it seemed like the answer. Oh, my goodness. And the answer to conditioning, by the way, is just put down the super stimulus. Stop eating the chocolate cake. 
and within a reasonable amount of time, you'll start eating broccoli again because you're going to get hungry. And once you kind of forget about the chocolate cake, and that's how conditioning works, over time, you, the brain returns to a norm. So if you're, you know, you will probably return to eventually being able to start learning about dating and intimacy and sex. But not everybody has a conditioning problem. And the problem is we don't know why all these young men and women are going online to avoid sex. Some of them may have mental illness. Some of them may have traditional sex addiction when they have early complex trauma. Some of them may have other addictions. Some of them may have social disorders or Asperger's or just because 10,000 people go online and they gravitate to the term porn addiction because they're struggling with porn. Since we, they're not divided up in terms of research or in terms of how we treat them, we don't really know what their problem is, but we sure know they're struggling with porn. Would you say that other people that are struggling with porn tend to be people from religious backgrounds, conservative backgrounds? Because I've read research online that um, the majority of these porn addicts tend to come from these type of backgrounds. So you're going to be reading a lot of stuff for I know, a while. Noticed, I know. And in this world that we live in today, everyone who, who can spit out a fact is an expert. And so... So sad. I, I want you to know, and I will say this without quote, that there are people writing today for major psychological publications who are also working for the porn industry. And so I have colleagues who are saying, porn's not a problem. Porn's never be an addiction, never be a problem. Don't worry about it. Writing for major psychological magazines in the United States. And then they work for the porn industry. That's so terrible. It's like a lobbyist. You talk to them. So some of the messages that are coming through are being influenced by factors that are beyond my control, certainly. Um, there are a lot of folks who would not like to ever talk about this subject, porn addiction, because there are a lot of pe people who make a lot of money in that industry. Then there are the culture wars, right? Like, am I a, am, is someone like me a professional, a, a, a well-known expert? Am I a porn, am I pro-porn or anti-porn? Right. Is porn good or is porn bad? You know, And of course, I can't say anything about any of that. Because if I said porn was good or bad, then I would be influencing my beliefs about how to treat this person. When someone comes to me and they say I have a porn problem, I'm not going to say, oh, well, I get it. The porn's good or the porn's bad. I'm going to say, what's going on with you? So I can't get involved as a professional, as a therapist, and porn is good, porn is bad. To your point, um, it's not just porn addicts. I've worked with people with sexual disorders for 25 years, and without question, people in more conservative religious communities, environments, have more sexual problems. When you repress and try to control people's sexuality for whatever reasons, even the most noble, there will be people who will struggle with intimacy and sex because of that experience. And as a result, in I see more sex addiction coming out of more conservative environments, not because people are more sensitive to that, they're looking at the porn and they feel more ashamed because they're particularly mm -hmm. um, religious. It's because they are stuck there and they really can't get out. And part of the problem, if you're a particularly conservative or religious person, is if you get stuck in porn or in sexual behavior in general, who do you talk to? Where do you exactly. get help? Exactly, yeah. And if you're not doing, and, and most people will say in those places, well, just go to church, go to talk to God, get more involved. And that's a good idea. I mean, there are spiritual elements to the, to recovery and healing, but you know, the Lord, the good Lord put mental health workers on this planet for say, a Psychologically, reason. that's why you guys are here. And these are psychological problems. Wow. And so there are lots going on in the porn world. You know, you have a, a ton of young people who are pouring online, struggling with porn for whatever reasons. We don't fully know why. They're all going to one or two places for help. Those one or two places right now are telling them, oh, you have a conditioned response to porn. And when you put the porn away, then you will not have this problem anymore. And that's not... It is true for some of oh, them. Oh, is it really? Some of them have a conditioned response to porn. That is a real thing. It's just not all of them do. And that's the only answer that's out there right now. For example, 
I just wrote a blog for Psychology Today uh, about porn, and it's something really worth talking about here is that porn is not just something that's exciting. It is for some of us, mostly most of us, but it's also something that people don't think about. And this is especially a big issue in the porn addiction community. Porn is also what I would call revelatory, meaning it reveals things to you about yourself that you may have not known. Sometimes porn will even reveal things to yourself, to you, about yourself you may not have known and don't like. For example, there are people who have interest in transgender or interest in same sex or Mm -hmm. interest in whatever. They're not aware of it. It's something that is kind of buried or fairly unconscious or, you know, it's kind of a bi thing. But they've never explored. They've never... Well, some of these people find themselves looking at porn for hours and hours and they kind of escalate the porn into trans porn or same-sex porn and they find themselves interested and they never thought they would be because they never thought that they would be interested in anything like that and they're horrified because they don't want to be into this so there are people who find parts of themselves in the porn that they never expected to find like oh they it was revealed to them in other words there are things about us that are unconscious that we don't know that not all of us can consciously be aware of, but sometimes you find yourself aroused by something you look at and you say, oh, wow, I didn't even know that turned me on. There are things that turn people on that they wish didn't. They might find a fetish. They might like leather porn. They might like, you know, people being tied up. They might like panties. They might like men in dresses, whoever, whatever it is. And they don't like that. And they, they are horrified. Oh my God, I never thought I'd be into that. The problem with this is that, um, that's not a conditioning thing. That's something like you found a part of yourself online, you masturbated to it, you reinforced it. Now it's something you know about. Now it's there. It's not going away. You are going to notice that you're attracted to men or women or panties or leather or whatever it is. It doesn't mean you will necessarily have to pursue it your whole life or go for it. But part of the problem in the porn addiction world is that the only answer these young people have who are looking for help have is conditioning. And conditioning doesn't take into account people who um, may have figured out that they were transgender online or or on their porn, or people who might have figured out that they actually have homosexual feelings in the porn, and see, they want that to go away. Maybe they don't like that about themselves. So if you tell them that it's conditioning, then then they think, oh, well, if I just stop looking at the porn, then it will go away, and it doesn't. Because porn is not just exciting, it's also revealing And now they're stuck with this attraction that they wish they didn't have and they don't know how to get rid of. Well, that is a mental health problem. That has to do with something you discovered about yourself. You're not comfortable with it. You need to come to terms with it. You need to go see a therapist, you know. But if you're 21 and you're just obsessed with how much porn you're looking at and you hate the porn you're looking at and you're a member of an online group that says just stop looking at it and read this book and do a little bit of that and it'll go away – then it gets really difficult because you find that, oh, it didn't go away. Look, I put the porn down and I'm still interested in this or that. What's wrong with me? So part of what's going on in the porn online world, porn addiction world, is that young people are trying to figure out answers for the problem they have. And I believe they're kind of waiting for us mental health and um, addiction specialists to show up and say, oh, we see you. We see you young porn people. You're not coming to us yet, but you're out there by the tens of thousands online on NoFap and Reboot This and you know all these sites. We're going to come investigate you, figure out who you are, and try to help you. And I think that's where we are right now, is just Mm -hmm. figuring out who they all are. Now, speaking of that, um, is it fair to say, and I'm just saying this, and is it fair to say that, well, let me backtrack. Um, 
between the LGBTQ LGBTQ community and this and the straight community, are um, LGBTQ people more addicted, or is it? Can we compare the both? Or because I would people, I'm assuming the average person will make that association that the LGBTQ people are, tend to be more addicted to sex or and porn, vice vice versa versus like the straight uh, community. Okay, well, let's community. start with addiction. Period. Okay. Let's move away from sex addiction. The gay, lesbian, and transgender community has higher rates of alcoholism, higher rates of drug addiction, and I'm pretty sure we have higher rates of sex addiction. Um, so it's a fact. If you look at crystal meth, uh, uh, absolutely a fact. Okay. But why is the question? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a member of the popular, the general culture who maybe looks down on that population, if you are or someone who looks down on us, you might say, oh, well, they're just a bunch of sleazy, you know, they're always right. going to bars and clubs, and of course, they're all just into that lifestyle. But the reality is, is that when you take a population, a minority population like gay and lesbian or transgender people, and you abuse them, and you make them a you make them a minority, and you make them struggle, and you you know as as folks have for many 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 years, and all so here sorry let me you reflex this right. Here's the deal: all subjugated minorities have larger r- rates of alcoholism and drug addiction. The black community, the Hispanic community, the I don't think the Asian community does, but almost every subjugated community uh, has greater rates of addiction because of that, because they're struggling as individuals to exist in the culture that accepts someone else but doesn't accept them. And when you're not accepted, you will go off and, you know, hang out with people and drink and go into dark places. And, you know, there's right. a reason why it's interesting. I mean, I'll just say this grinder, you're talking about the gay community. I, w- I grew up in a world where me- where gay men had sex in restrooms and truck stops and bathrooms and parks and on beaches and in bushes, you know, that's, it was a lot of public sex. And that was also, oh, well, you are, you're just a bunch of sleazy people. You know, you just want to have sex in public. And of course the reason for that was that for two men or two women to be romantic or sexual in public was illegal or unarrestable. So the reason that gay men and lesbian people went to those dark places to discover sex is because they had to. It's interesting about Grindr because when Grindr came along, it actually took gay men out of all of those dark places. You don't see as many people except for the older folks hanging out in the in those public environments because there's a safer, more current, you know, 20 years from now, nobody's going to think about that. I mean, I think gay men and straight men are going to be hooking up in the exact same way. Right. Um, in fact, you might say that straight men's world has changed too because straight men didn't have Ashley Madison and Tinder Gay men always had access to immediate sex right. through casual um, public or other kinds of experiences, but straight men, not so much. Um, what's interesting to me is that straight men actually now have gay men's privilege, which is they can go online, they can click on an app, and they too can get a woman without having to talk or look good. Or So they also have their new challenges. So within the new challenges, the second category that you talk about is digital age or condition porn uh addicts or addiction, um, which seems to be a new form of form of, uh, of porn addiction. Now, how is that translating? For example, like, so now you're saying that now, um, the heterosexual community or specifically straight men now have that gay privilege. Right. Now are the, the people who are in the digital age of porn addiction, are these people tend to, do these people tend to be, this demographic tend to be like straight men or is it I, I, um, I would think, I mean, I, again, we don't have the research, but I haven't run into that many young gay men in that world, in the porn addiction recovery world. I mostly run into straight men. Um, I have a lot of ideas about that, but because of how gay men are being sexual, how they're exposed to sexual, just a whole bunch of ideas. But 
generally it seems to be heterosexual men who are pissed that they're not able to date and have sex um, because they're not getting erections, not getting aroused, they're not even interested in intimacy. And I, I mean, there's more to all of this and I don't really want to get too complex. We already talked about conditioning. Okay. Conditioning is when you look at something for a long period of time and eventually you just start to want that more than other things because it's so enticing and exciting. We have an amazing audience that listens to this podcast. Sure. Um, what resources can you tell us are out there for people who are trying to find uh, solutions to their addiction or, or their situation? Um, how can they get in contact with you? What res just can you give us information? Well, I'd like to give nonprofits first, things that are okay. free. So um, Porn Addicts Anonymous has shown up. I believe there is now a program for that. And interesting, I think they, that is right that they have their own program. Because again, they're sitting in rooms with people, if you go to a sex acts meeting, have had lots of sex and these folks have only had sex with themselves. So they kind of need their own place. So there is Porn Addicts Anonymous. I have a site called sexandrelationshiphealing.com, sexandrelationshiphealing.com. And we give away free therapy. I have 14 groups where I volunteer therapists during the week and they just sit and do drop-in groups for anybody in the world who wants to drop in. And I have groups for male porn addicts and female and male sex addicts and female and partners and... We just do that on sex and relationship healing to give people an opportunity to get free help. I mean, it really is my belief that most people will never make it to a therapist and probably never make it to a 12-step meeting. So if I can offer free help online. Um, so I'm online for an hour free every single week at 5 o'clock California time on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. I'm online at no cost on intherooms.com on Fridays at 6 o'clock California time. And that is also intherooms.com. A, that's a site that brings about... 1,500 12-step meetings online to people. You can go to a 12-step meeting anytime, day or night, live, A-A-N-A, -A -A, all of that from your home, and you never have to leave. And believe me, I've seen a lot of people, women with three kids who can't make it to an AA meeting or is trying not to drink with those kids around, and they go to meetings online, and they never leave the house, and they get well. They get a sponsor. They get support. They do okay. Wow. That's a good thing. What's one piece of advice you want our listeners to walk away? Can I give two? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, I want to give two because the first one always is that if you have a problem with sex, don't be ashamed. I think that's the most important. It's easy to say, but when you sit in a room, as I have for years and years and years and years and years, with people who have sexual problems, um, you realize how much they just need to come together and get support from each other without shame. And that's why I'm a fan of 12-step meetings. Um, uh, we run a treatment center called Seeking Integrity. And if you are looking for residential help, we're available for that. The, the other thing that I think I would suggest is, you know, if you're questioning how you're acting, pay attention to that. I think it's important to, and again, not with not shame and not with judgment, not like what's wrong with me or I shouldn't be doing that, but question yourself. Like someone standing outside of you saying, isn't it interesting that I'm doing this right now? Isn't it interesting I do this every night? And I'm curious and I wonder, and see if you can find out what other people are doing. There are online sites for filters and blockers and trackers, and you can certainly get that. There's a Jewish site called Guard Your Eyes, mm -hmm. which a lot of uh, conservative Jews will go to. There's a site called Covenant Eyes, which a lot of conservative Christians will go to. So those folks kind of have their needs taken care of related to online porn. It's more the day-to-day -day person who's struggling who really is still trying to find their way. And they are going to have to do a lot of looking before they figure out what's right for them. What I was saying is conditioning is like the latest thing. It's for young people. It's like... If you have a porn problem and you go online and you're told, oh, you just need to do A, B, and C, and you've got a whole bunch of people to support you, you're going to go for that. And for some people, that's really helpful and it works. 
if you have a problem that's related to looking at too much porn and you've become conditioned to it. However, there are people who have things revealed to them in the porn, like attractions they weren't aware of or interest they didn't know about. That's not going to go away. Um, there are people who may discover that they have a more serious problem with compulsive sexual behavior, sex addiction. That's not going to go away. So what we really need is a very, a much more articulated understanding of all of the reasons why someone might choose to stop looking at porn or feel that it's a problem for them. And right now what we have is just a bunch of people who are rushing online saying, I have a porn problem, and a few people saying, I think I can help, but we really don't have the expertise that we need for young people to find their healing. And um, we're on the way, but we're not there yet. But but from your perspective, what are those red flags, let's say? Um, so you're saying conditioning, like they discover all these things. You mean what would be the red – so what would be a red flag that I might be a porn addict? That right. would be a good question, regardless of how I got to be okay. a porn addict. I think the question would be, um, do I spend more time in interacting in porn than I do with real people? That would be a big warning because I, I work with some folks who work at home all day and then they look at porn all day and they never really interact with a whole lot with people. If you have a desire, here's some more other things. If porn is causing you to lose time that you really want to give to family, to friends, to work, to dating, to school, to, and you just can't get it. And you know, grades are suffering, work isn't going well. If you're crossing boundaries and looking at work and looking at porn at work or on your phone at work or in situations or on, you know, in public transit places where you know that just most people wouldn't think that was right. If you're in a relationship and you're constantly looking at the porn and you find that, that that's probably and you really feel it is undermining it and you all of that and you can't stop. You know, you say to yourself, well, the porn must be a problem or I want to take some time out and yet it, you just find yourself returning to it. I mean, classic signs of addiction are returning to a behavior despite having negative consequences relate to it. Someone found out I got in trouble, but I keep doing it. Um, I feel obsessed and compelled to do it uh, certain times a day or certain situations. I just got to do it I, no matter what. And even though I've had negative consequences, I can see that it's affected work or school or relationships. I, I still do it. So you're having problems. You know there's a problem. You're trying to stop. It's getting in the way of things and you haven't been able to. Those are examples of when an addiction might be present. So I think one of the misunderstandings about porn addiction is people think that that those folks who have say they have a porn addiction problem or those folks who are looking at porn are just looking at porn. If you don't look a lot of porn online, you don't understand that whenever you pull up a porn channel and you start to look at that content, which is often free, what gets pulled up alongside of it is, or with it, or a window right next to it is a cam girl or a mm -hmm. cam boy. There's a person who comes up and it's another window. And while you're looking at the porn or engaged in the porn, they're right there waiting for you. Sometimes they're stripping or half stripped. They're writing you. So this is in part where sex trafficking takes place with people all over the world who are sitting with a camera in their living room or their bedroom trying to make a buck, you know, taking their clothes off. But more importantly, this is what's going on is live prostitution. I mean, when you when you hook up with a cam girl or a cam boy, you're still having pixel sex, oh, shit. but you're having it with a person. So what is that? Like, yeah. You're not smelling them, you're not tasting them, you're not with them, but you're having, you know, and maybe if you have something on your genitals and maybe somebody is pressing a button and you're feeling that long distance, mm -hmm. you know, it feels, listen, all I can tell you is this, and this is really, um, there will be people who will never leave the porn when VR comes around. As soon as we have full on VR porn, there are people who are never leave those relationships. There are going to be men sitting there talking to those women online saying, just love me, love me, love me. I had guys in the... 90s who spent five ten thousand dollars on the old phone sex bills where they 
call, you know, please tell me you love me for five minutes. Like, you know, hi, I'm Susie. Call me late at night. They couldn't even see these people, but they would spend five, ten thousand dollars on a bill and then they would pay that bill off and then they go to a friend's house and run up their bill or a parent's house or people get really obsessed. Certain people can get really obsessed with a human being validating them, especially someone they're sexually attracted to. And let me tell you, when you've got a VR human being right there in your headset, it's really hard to make them go away. That's going to be the game changer. So funny because the porn industry is pushing for like 3D, all that stuff. They're the ones, they're the ones behind all of that. Well, the porn industry has always pushed tech forward. Always, the porn industry pushed tech forward in the 90s. Porn industry is pushing tech forward now because, well, it's one of the most successful online industries, isn't it? Now, in regards to um, the cam girl and the cam guy, Mm. would is that a private invasion of privacy? Even though, like, let's say you're looking at porn and then this pops up. is it? I think Can you consider at, that? Or, I mean, well, I think if I'm going to my local pornographer and I'm not paying them to look at their images, they can pop up whatever they want. And uh, I think probably if you join their site, you don't get pop-ups or something like that. Like if you're willing to pay them then for their porn. But pop-ups are, you know, how the porn industry makes their business. Porn sells okay, but real life people, that sells better. Well, it's because you have that. It's that associ- yeah, the illusion or the association. But think about it for the porn addict. It's like they feel like they're that much closer to connection, but they're not any closer to connection. It's still just pixels. For someone that's young and uh, has an addiction and doesn't have the resources, but needs the parental, do they need a parental, um, uh, appro- I guess, what is it, approval? Is that what it's called? Parental sign-off? If you go to an online meeting, you can just go. I do think, you know, if you're a 17-year-old or you might not want to go to a sex addiction meeting with a bunch of 40-year-old men sitting in the room, but right. you could go online and go to a meeting and you don't have to show your face. You can change your name. Right, but you're still with that community. You're still engaging with those people. You're still asking questions, and it's quite useful. I do this group, as I said, on uh, well, I do a couple of groups a week and online for free, and I get 60, 80, 100 people a week, and they're from Dubai and Singapore and Australia and New York, and they're from all over the world asking questions about sex. I mean, to me, that's like the gift I learned from Facebook is give it away. You know, even though, uh, sure, do clients sometimes come to me because they've seen me online and I might get a client or two? Sure, that's my business. But I help hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people for free. And that is such a gift to me and to them. It's a lot of fun. Well, I mean, just I'm just thinking more on, on along the lines of like if I'm a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old and mm-hmm. I know how my parents are and I know that I have an issue and if I were to tell them that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like foreseeing what might come out no of that. Fap. Go to no fap. Which is uh, a site that was set up by a guy who was having some problems with porn, and he set it up thinking, well, maybe some of my friends will go on here and we'll help each other. And he just passed a million members. So if you're just a young person, you're looking for resources, go to NoFap. I mean, they're pretty neutral. Uh, it's NoFap.com, um, and that's where all the people are hanging out. That's where I'm doing research. That's where we're getting information from those very communities. This is really good because I feel like the younger g- generation needs all of this. They have more resources. I feel like than than the previous people. You have more resources, but accessible. I think the challenge, and I'm, I'm going to say this with just complete honesty as an older person, is I had the, the advantage of really having a lot of very close intimate relationships that were built throughout my childhood, adolescence, and into college. Dating relationships, sex relationships, you know, and porn didn't get in the way of that. And I do run into a lot of folks who are doing everything in the world with school and everything in the world with sports and everything in the world with porn, but they're not dating, they're not intimate. I mean, you have to understand that a generation ago, the way people learned how to be sexual is by dating. Right. I had to hold your hand. I had mm-hmm. to put my arm around you. If I said the wrong thing, you'd be like, oh my God, that was so rude. And then I'd be, never do that again. 
But if you've only really looked at images and you're 19 and you've never really gone on many dates, what I'm finding is a lot of fear. I'm finding a lot of 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds and 27-year-olds. I don't know how to date. I don't know how to ask someone out. I don't know how to... I've seen some 25-year-old men act like what I would call, and please, ladies, excuse me, seven-year-old, well, 14-year-old girls waiting for their first date because is she, she going to call me back? Is she not going to call me? What do I do? What do I do? It's like, I knew that by 24. You know, I knew whether to call back or not or whether it was okay or how we were doing. There does seem to be a lack of experience with intimacy, mm-hmm. romantic intimacy that I think does come later, but, but it's a little, it's a different, you can edit this, I'm sure. I think one way of looking at it um, is that our stages of development have changed. I learned about sexual intimacy and dating with people as a sort of liberal person when I was in my teens. A lot of younger people aren't really having those physical connections until they're older. They're, they're having them online. And that's a different trajectory for a relationship than starting with people. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this week's episode. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to email us at whiskeysextalk at gmail.com. That's whiskeysextalk at gmail.com. Till next time.